0: Where about do you kind
1: of reside? Uh, I'm in upstate New York these days. I've been up here for about five years.
0: Did you, were you in the state before that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was in Brooklyn for about 10 years before that.
0: What made you kind of decide to escape? Or not escape, but <laughs> <What> move
1: <about? laughs> It kind of felt like an escape at the time. Um, I think there were a lot of factors at the time. Um, I had been kind of flirting with the idea for, for a while, but never really saw a path to get out and yeah there were just some circumstances at the time like um you know i kind of because of like hearing issues i was having i needed i i was needing to live a much quieter life and there i was at the time living on uh like a very main thoroughfare in in brooklyn like right by the subway right on an industrial truck route it's extremely loud all the time and yeah, there there was kind of this moment where I had um, I had a couple of roommates move out, and uh, rather than try and fill the space or find a new spot uh, in the city, I decided to kind of follow them upstate and um, just kind of float around for a little while. It just you know it felt like felt like an interesting adventure to me at the time, and I I think I was just needing a change, so I just I just kind of went with it
0: was the were the hearing issues caused from the kind of living next to busy road for a few years was that kind of what spawned that
1: no i think that made it that that made it harder to recover from the issues um and it it kind of exacerbated them after they they set in but most likely it was it was you know touring and performing uh and playing really loud shows um that that probably deteriorated uh some of the kind of it, Natural protections that exist in the ear it
0: just starts to take its toll.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can only your, your hearing can only uh put up with so much. As kind of like boring as it can seem to, or not cool as it can seem to protect your ears. Like I definitely learned the hard way that it's really important, especially if you like if you go to shows, if you like being up close, or or you're a performer and you like playing your music loud. Like you gotta protect it because the the price is is really too great for for not doing that
0: yeah do you kind of just put in the little earbuds
1: yeah i ended up getting like molds made for my ears like uh, you know i would alternate between the kind of like cheap pharmacy earbuds for a little while but yeah these days i have the kind of like fitted uh silicone molds that i would just um you know obviously not seeing any shows right now but if i was or if i was on tour like i'd be wearing them every night
0: yeah I used to do the same because I was kind of going when I started going to like four or five shows a week. When you get to that point, you've kind of got to start protecting them, and then maybe on totally. the maybe on the odd show when I was if it was a band I was like really into or really loved, I might not wear them. But nine times out of ten,
1: I think it's important for the long game if you want to keep playing music or you want to keep going to lots, lots and lots of shows for um for the foreseeable future. Like it's you know it it's kind of a matter of longevity which is not something you think about a lot when you're, you know, when you're younger, you're not really thinking about like years ahead, but, um, they catch up with you.
0: Are you a country boy to start with? Did you grow up in the city or did you grow up in the countryside?
1: I grew up in the country. Um, like not as far upstate as I am now. Um, I kind of grew up outside of the city, um, in a kind of country suburb. So I think I'm, I don't know. I, I think I am pretty adaptable and whatever environment I'm in, I kind of, I find a way to kind of match the energy there, and so living in, in the city in Brooklyn for so long, like um, it was a good fit for for a while. and then I think my, my lifestyle started to change and the things that I wanted in life started to change. The living, living in the country just started to make a lot more sense for for everything else that I was trying to make happen in my life.
0: Have you noticed the impact? the music you've made since you've been there? Like if you compare the music you've made when you've been in the country compared to the stuff you made when you were in Brooklyn, can you see a difference as a result of that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that um, the first music that I made since moving up here was my solo record, which is, you know, is very, is a very quiet record and uh, it's got lots of space and the instrumentation is, is more uh, kind of natural organic earthy however you want to describe it and i think that was partly from the shift of moving up here and there being so much quiet and and so much personal space that it made its way into the music and then with this new record it's you know sort of doubled down on the earthier aspects of it you know i think there's there's just a a sort of um kind of warmer quality to the music that i'm making now um, both the instrumentation and I think just the mood and the, the general vibe as well. And, just, you know, I'm, I'm I'm very influenced by my surroundings and I'm surrounded by nature a lot of the time, so it makes, it makes its way in.
0: Is that what kind of infused the title track on the new record, the way you're kind of describing the setting there?
1: Yeah, it was, um, you know, the title is sort of a catch-all for describing this time of year. Not this time of year, <laughs> it's very snowy right now, but... um, <laughs> Yeah, the you know, the season between summer and fall as the leaves are changing and the parallel between that and the sort of changes that start happening in this phase of life.
0: Yeah. If you're in the right part of the world as well it can kind of be the Goldilocks zone for weather. Not too hot, not too cold. It's perfect. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's really it's really nice and I feel like there is this for me there's a very nostalgic feeling about that time of year. You know, that feeling of the summer ending and a sort of I don't know, almost cataloging of what your summer was or what the, the past year has been up until that point and looking, looking ahead into the, the winter and, and it's a sort of energizing time too. I, I feel like, you know, you come come back from the summer and get into the fall and um, people are energized and kind of ready to pick up their work again, whatever, whatever that may be.
0: Yeah, the culture, and the culture in America is a little bit different, dear. You take quite like a long break over summer, right? You guys pretty much have the whole summer off.
1: I guess it depends. Um, I don't take a lot of like long breaks, really, but that's because, you know, this is my, this is my job. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of working all the time. And I, I, take, I take time off periodically from it, but I'm kind of, I'm chipping away all the time. But I think most people, if they're going to go on vacation, a lot of the time they do it during the summer. I don't know if people get a lot of time off unless you're, you know, a teacher and you get the summers off, but um, I think it tends to be a time, you know, definitely when I was living in the city, that was when, you know, August was when the city would kind of clear out and most people would, would go on vacation if they could and the city got quieter and it wasn't until September that people started to return and and, you know, responding to their emails more just kind of picking up where they left off after some period of like re-energization.
0: Do you find yourself working in a different way in the summer then, if you kind of have that space where you're still working and everyone else maybe isn't so much?
1: Well, it depends. I think that the summer can be, it's funny, I'm like trying to put myself back in the headspace of it being summer and I'm looking outside at like a field full of snow.
0: What temperature Um, is it?
1: It's actually not too bad today. It's, uh, It's about like 40 Fahrenheit. Right now, so the snow is like melting a bit, and we kind of like feel the spring on the horizon. Feel it but coming. It's it's still, it's still not summer, <laughs> um but I, I feel like in the summer you're kind of it's like this pull to be outside for me. You know, wanting to be more efficient with the way I work so that uh I'm not spending all day inside, but getting out into the world, into nature, which informs the process too. You know, I think because so much of it revolves around creation and generating ideas and kind of uh, getting into the right mindset to make something, you, you need to step outside of the work environment sometimes to, um, to get some information, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's almost like collecting those experiences that you then distill into the music itself.
1: Yeah, and sometimes ideas just kind of coalesce by going on a walk. Or spending some time in nature and working things out in your head, um away from away from distractions, away from a lot of things. Um just, you know, time spent thinking and making connections and, you know, sometimes sometimes some very important realizations and aha moments happen just walking
0: in the woods. I think it was Charles Dickens who used to walk like twenty miles a day while he was writing. Really? Wow, twenty miles <laughs> a day. God <laughs> It's a lot.
1: That's like the whole day.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to work out how many hours I up. I mean, if you're doing like four miles an hour, that's like five, six hours maybe walking. Yeah. It's a lot, yeah.
1: That's, that's great. Something to aspire to.
0: I had, um, I had John from Wild Pink on yesterday, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, he says hi. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, he was up for a walk when we were doing the podcast. And it was kind of a similar thing. It's we were speaking about you know, how it gets your mind going just in that way. Do you speak to other songwriters about this?
1: Yeah, actually. well, he and I actually talked about a lot of this stuff a few weeks ago. But yeah, I like trading notes with, with other songwriters, um, other creators in general, just about like their process and the kind of like cross-training they do. you know, the things that aren't actually writing a song or working on their actual piece itself, but the things that kind of help inform their process or, or help uh, help get their mind in shape for whatever work comes later
0: how much of your process the kind of songwriting process do you feel is formed from self-discovery and working out yourself and how much has come from creating ideas like that and taking inspiration from other people
1: i'd say it's probably a a healthy mix especially in the last like few years uh, as i've just become interested in getting ideas for other artists or from other artists process and sometimes that's talking to to a friend or or peer Um, sometimes it's just reading about other artists uh, rituals Um, and sometimes it doesn't have to be artists sometimes it's just productive people that you admire and getting some insight into into their routines and kind of um, deconstructing some of their habits and trying things out seeing what seeing what works um what and what doesn't
0: are you a creature of habit would you say
1: yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, and th- that can be a good or bad habits, but you know, over the last few years, I've definitely made the effort to to kind of harness that tendency and try and f- try and fill it with what I consider healthy habits.
0: Is that partially what just one sec was about? Trying to maybe move away from some of those bad habits and become free of them, or become free of yourself as a person, I guess more so. But
1: yeah, I think it's m- I think it's more so. I guess it, I guess it does kind of pertain to habit, but less about activity. And process, and more. I guess about a habitual way of interacting with somebody that you've known for a really long time. This, you know, I think there's this kind of phenomenon that happens with really close friends and family, where you sort of in a conversation feel you can predict how they're going to respond to something you say. You, um, it's order, it, it's a little bit telepathic, but it's actually I think just this kind of like habitual preempting of somebody
0: because you know them so well. And
1: it's and it's kind of unfair in a way. It, it doesn't leave a lot of room for someone to surprise you.
0: Yeah, and it could also be you then have to kind of wonder how much of it is projecting.
1: Totally. Yeah, I think that um it, that becomes really tricky and I think that song especially is about trying to see somebody with fresh eyes, somebody you know really really well and admitting that you actually don't know what they're thinking and You don't know exactly how they will respond to something that you say and, you know, letting them be new again, you know, hoping that they'll, they'll offer you the same in kind.
0: Can that be trickier than changing your own habits? Because it's like a two-way thing, if you know what I mean. It's not just down to you.
1: Yeah, I think, um, well, ultimately it does come down to, to changing your own habits. You can't really change somebody else, I don't think, or you shouldn't count on being able to change somebody else um or change their behavior i think the best you can do is try to catch yourself when you are um when you're kind of filling in the blanks for somebody else or when you are kind of uh boxing them in with expectations you know to catch yourself and say okay like i i'm so full of anticipation about how i expect them to respond that i'm not even really giving them a fair chance
0: yeah and if you do that as well what could actually be transition and growth can feel like loss to you, even though it's not. Like if you have that expectation. Mm,
1: Like it can be a loss of this way of identifying a person or way of knowing them, do you mean?
0: Yeah. It's not that thing when people always say, you've changed, if you know what I mean. Like when they say that, they're (laughs) not saying it in a good way. They're saying it in a, I wish it was still the old person way, which is such a weird thing to think about because everyone's going to (laughs) change
1: yeah it's it's inevitable it's really a fact of life that people change um so much of what this record's about is reconciling with that it's hard it's hard to um it's hard to watch people you love change and become less recognizable to you ideally you you encourage that change and you change in response to it and with it and you give somebody space to become different You know, some friendships and relationships can't survive that change. And that's, it's not necessarily a failing on anybody's part. It's just, it's just that, uh, it's not always possible to ride that change out. But it is, yeah, it can feel like a loss. It can feel like a loss when somebody that you felt like you had a really good read on, um, becomes less predictable to you.
0: Yeah. And I think as well, if they're changed as a result of, someone else like if they're surrounding themselves with people that are changing them in a negative way that's when it starts to feel like a loss because it doesn't feel like them that's changing themselves it feels like a an external thing that you can't control
1: absolutely you know i think that's like a common problem with when a close friend gets involved you know in a relationship with somebody new and they for better or worse start to have a a strong influence on them and this person that you you thought you knew inside and out is is suddenly taking on characteristics of somebody you've just met. And it's um it's disorienting and it and it can be hard to accept it.
0: Has that ever happened to yourself as well? Like aspects of yourself change that you thought never would?
1: Absolutely. Um that you know that was what a lot of hospice was about, actually. You know, I definitely lost myself in the course of a relationship and, you know, lost my center and I think the people that knew me really well were very confused by my behavior and and the, the changes that were happening in me as if somebody else was kind of pulling my strings.
0: The thing with that narrative as well, though it feels like it was coming from a place of goodwill, like you were trying to help someone?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's a mixed bag. I think there was definitely a lot of effort spent trying to help someone and trying um, and trying to be a good partner and be generous. But there's also this other aspect of having been so young and not having a great sense of self yet, almost, you know, hoping for an opportunity to become somebody else, which is uh I was gonna say indefensible. That's not quite the right word, because no. I, I don't mean to like cast judgment on myself or anybody who finds themselves in that situation. But I think it's um I think it's something to be very careful of when, you know, when you meet somebody who has qualities that you find very attractive to not lose yourself in your in your relationship with them to you know make sure you hold on to to what is steady about you and it's it's hard to at that age i think it's it's hard to it's hard to even know what it is you ought to be holding on to
0: it can be tough as well because like what you're saying there that you see characteristics in this person that you admire you know the whole reason we get into relationships is so that because we see those characteristics and we want to try and we want to see them those characteristics in ourselves as well but it can be tough not to absorb their negative qualities too it's tough to kind of distinguish and just take the positive things and try and give the positive things you kind of you end up passing everything over
1: yeah and it's really um, it's really it's really hard to cherry pick somebody's attributes and choose the ones that you want to influence you it's you know it's i think it's impossible, but it's not a great course of action and i think i think in opening yourself up to a relationship you sort of accept that you will be influenced by it both uh you know both somebody's more favorable attributes and the ones that you know you might call flaws i i think that's inevitable
0: you mentioned something a little while back as well that when you were in that kind of place in your life you didn't have a great sense of self at that point because you were so young Mm-hmm. At what point do you feel like you gained a full sense of self, and then how has that impacted you creatively since, and the way you express yourself creatively now that you have that?
1: Um, you know, I think these days I'm closer to that than I've ever been. I don't think it's ever, you know, I don't think I've ever achieved a full sense of self, but I think I think I have a stronger sense of self than I used to. Certainly in my twenties, and I, I think my move out of the city probably helped that. Um, just by not seeing as many people around all the time, not, not being in an environment where I was, I was kind of encountering so many others and having so much, so much of other people reflected back at me at the time.
0: Yeah, no matter whether we like it or not, when we're around other people, we we change. You know, We act to a certain degree. We're different people around others. Is part of the reason that you've got a stronger sense of self now because when you're by your own a little bit more, you have more time just to be yourself.
1: I think so. I think maybe I've embraced some qualities of my personality that uh, maybe I was uh, less less willing to in the past, less um, less comfortable with in the past. And you know, I think there's a tendency living in living in a big city or living in a really cool neighborhood that you can't help but kind of not only compare yourself to the people that you either know or even just see on the street but if you are somebody who is struggling to know who they are it can make you a bit like a chameleon and feel like you can sort of be you can kind of try on any version of a person and sort of you know take on any role and at some point those those roles as defined by other people can but you, you know, create like a tension in your life, I guess. A sense of tension, a sense of being, you know, your behavior being at odds with who you really are.
0: Is it harder to achieve fulfillment in life when that's going on?
1: I think it's harder to know what would be fulfilling in life. I think you you might find yourself chasing the wrong ambitions.
0: It's that old saying, isn't it? Comparison is the death of joy. <laughs> I've never heard that, but that's good. <laughs> I can't remember who said that, but it is good. It was, um, there was a line on the album i think it's on wheels roll home is it the first line where you say there's a point way out past the present tense mm-hmm. it reminded me i think and you're a fan of him as well rumi oh yeah the quote by rumi um out beyond ideas of right and wrong you know there's a field and i'll meet you there it kind of it brought my mind yeah, there. i love that line can the creative process be that for you like that idea of being in a place like that that's completely pure and ideas of right and wrong are gone
1: um you know i've spent I've spent some time trying to kind of answer that question, or trying to work from that that place, that kind of metaphysical place. Since Familiars, really, um, to try and write songs and and specifically lyrics that explore a subject without being judgmental and without establishing a sense of right and wrong. I think it's kind of a slippery place to work from if you're not careful. It can lead to saying nothing or it can lead to a kind of both sidesism or a kind of like relative relativistic perspective where like everybody's right and everybody's wrong and on some kind of cosmic level, I do believe that, but I think it's it's hard to navigate your life uh purely thinking in those terms and never you know mistaking judgment for discernment and saying you know mistaking this idea that I'm, I'm never going to decide what I think is right and wrong and confusing that with kind of discerning your own sense of right and wrong. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, that's kind of what makes it is what it is powerful, though. Because that's a song that has its inherent political connotations. But I think the fact that you don't really pass judgment and you kind of, in the same way as the title, you just state it for what it is, it kind of makes it a lot more striking.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think that song um, was kind of written from a bit of a detached place, which is another kind of risk of writing from that, that field where there's no sense of right and wrong. You can mistake non-attachment for detachment <laughs> or vice versa, but you know, to me that felt like a real feeling that can come up, a kind of a, a distanced feeling from something that's actually very difficult and very painful, but a sort of being resigned to the outcome. You know kind of able to recognize pain, recognize sadness, but it doesn't register with you, and you just accept it
0: it's it's almost less of an experience
1: yeah it yeah it, it's it can be it can be less visceral yeah i think there you know there can be value to some degree of that in your life um to to having a bit of a of remove from some of the more difficult things you know it also means having a bit of a remove from the more positive things in your life and it can be it can be kind of cold and unfeeling but i tend to think that part of what is so valuable about the experience of being alive is that we're not in this kind of disembodied plane of existence where you know our consciousness is free floating among all other consciousness like maybe we are but i think part of the value of the human experience is that we have this opportunity to feel all of these things and that Oftentimes they're very ugly feelings and they're very unpleasant. Sometimes they're really beautiful and joyful that on some level we, you know, we ought to let ourselves feel them.
0: Are these revelations we've kind of been talking about, are they something that's come partially from meditation and that kind of practice that you've implemented in your life? Uh,
1: Yeah, I would say so. Um, I started meditating about seven or eight years ago and I think it definitely changed the way I think about a lot of these things. But it hasn't been a linear change in thought. You know. I think I've gotten, I've gotten some ideas about how I think the universe works or how I, how I want to be in the world. And then I've sort of recognized that I maybe I jumped the gun or that I didn't understand what I was experiencing exactly or I was oversimplifying things. And you know, so there's this constant revision going on, this constant checking of my worldview. To, to make sure that I don't land on some kind of one-size-fits-all solution for myself, that, you know, different situations call for different reactions. And, you know, like, for example, tempering your reactivity to, to difficult situations doesn't mean not reacting to anything. But at the, you know, at the start of learning to meditate, it can seem like that's the answer, that you just need to be completely stoic and and made of stone and non-reactive and i think it's you know lately for me it's been about being more just aware of the reactions that are happening internally and catching myself before reacting externally in a way that will hurt somebody or cause suffering
0: do you ever implement that in the creative process as well because so much of that is about reacting to ideas and melodies and such
1: yeah i think i think creatively especially on this last record. It's actually, I I think creatively lately, I've been trying to not catch myself because I think that can lead to essentially a form of writer's block where you get too locked up in your head or your ideas get too locked in your head and they don't have an opportunity to make it onto the canvas. I'm trying to recognize what reactions are happening, but letting them happen. A creative canvas of any kind is sort of a safe place for you to To react, however you do, to whatever prompt you've got, Um, it can be very telling. But you've, I, for me, I've got to see it all on the page first, or I've got to see it in the session, or whatever it is, and then from there, it's a matter of editing. It's a matter of deciding, okay, what makes it through to be shared with other people.
0: How far or how long will you typically develop an idea before deciding to reject it? Is part of that, and letting, if is part of that, you know, and letting your mind run. Do you have to say, I'm going to let this go as far as it can? Do you have to try and stop yourself cutting it off early?
1: I'm, uh, that's a very good question. If I reject an idea, a lot of the time it's because I just recognize that it's not working and that it's not coming together the way that I want it to. And that it's not necessarily that it was a bad idea to begin with, but I, I don't know how to execute it or I don't know how to finish it or make it consumable, make it listenable or
0: understandable. Can that be frustrating? When you get that feeling from the initial spark, but you just can't quite get it to the place that it feels like it needs to be.
1: Yeah, it can be it's very frustrating. there's a There's like a tendency of uh, for denial in that too. Sometimes an, uh, a subpar idea will make it very far along the process, and it's not till the eleventh hour that you realize this just isn't working. You know I'll spend a lot of time kind of trying to force it to work. And if the editor in me is 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 deceived for too long. uh, Sometimes those things slip through and they make it onto the finished project.
0: How far did you develop the idea of this being a double album before letting (laughs) that fall?
1: You know, I wasn't really attached to that idea, but this was the first time that I had so many more songs throughout the process that were kind of being workshopped. Usually we would write enough songs to kind of reach the threshold of an album length and then work on refining those and and finishing those. And this time we got to that point and just kept going and kept writing and seeing what else was in there. For a period of time, it seemed like there were, you know, close to twenty songs that could make it onto this album. Um, but that's one of the kind of deceptions that happened earlier in the recording process where every idea seems like it has potential. And every idea kind of does have potential, but I tend to underestimate how much work will go into bringing an initial idea to to completion. And so you get a little further on in the process and you say either, I don't want to work on this idea anymore or I don't see a path for it or it is similar to another idea in this group, but the other idea is better.
0: Well, you were saying there that sometimes you don't see, you know, how much development it's going to take. Can that be part of the excitement of the process too, though? Because it's surprising you in that way if, it can't, if you didn't foresee it taking that much work.
1: Um, yeah, I think... I think it's all this process of finding out and developing an idea, especially when you sort of see the path, but there's enough room for spontaneity. I think it can be a lot of fun, and in a lot of ways, it's much more fun than starting with the blank canvas and just trying to doing what I try to do now, which is show up every day and and say, "All right, is the, are there any ideas today, starting from scratch?" And most days, there's not. Like there's something, there's maybe some chords, maybe a melody, maybe a riff. But um, in a lot of cases, it's just kind of searching. When you land on something that you think is cool, it's very rewarding. When you land on something that you can see developing it, then it's exciting. But sometimes the point of it is not for it to be finished, if that makes sense. It's, it's for you to kind of get a certain distance down the line with an idea only to realize that some of those some of those developments that you made with this idea would be better applied to something else you're working on. And then you just got to you got to kill your darlings, you got to you got to get rid of the thing that's not working and salvage what you can if there's something worth salvaging.
0: Do you mean in that sense that you might develop an idea that's not going to make it, but it sparks something for another idea that does? Yeah, exactly. How do you ensure it kind of still feels cohesive then? If the ideas are all kind of feeding into each other like that? How do you ensure that you preserve what was at the heart of that initial idea that made it so special and spot your attention in the first place?
1: Well, I think ideas being able to be kind of transferred or moved around within this batch of, of, uh, of songs, I think it actually makes it more cohesive stylistically and in terms of mood and like environment. But it can be hard to preserve the initial spark of what made something interesting to you. And sometimes when you re record a demo, it loses whatever that, that magic is, which can be disappointing and frustrating. Then again, it can also be a really valuable signpost to show you that the idea doesn't stand up to, to repetition or recreation. Um, you know, I think there's value in like a spontaneous recording that just has captured some magic. But I think in songwriting, it can be very telling if you can't re-record a song and have it capture that same energy.
0: In terms of the song, maybe just isn't quite special enough.
1: Yeah, like the thing that was maybe special about it in that initial recording is something other than the song, um, something more subtle, something about you know the tone of the instrument or the energy that, that you played it with, but it's not necessarily the song itself. It can be hard to pull that stuff out, though. It can be hard to extract those kinds of raw visceral qualities. And and apply them to a different idea.
0: It's almost like a where is Waldo puzzle. You're trying to find out where that thing is, but you just can't quite <laughs> get a hold of it sometimes. Yeah. Where or when rather did you start to bring in the, the nature recordings and the kind of field recordings?
1: I, I've been doing field recordings for for several years now. Probably like I think I started doing a lot of them uh, around the time of familiars you know once i think technology on phones improved you know or microphones on phones improved and i you know i would carry a field recorder around with me sometimes as well especially when i was traveling more i would just find myself in these environments that i knew i wouldn't almost never return to again and capturing a field recording is in some ways the best way to transport yourself back to that place for me anyway my, my memory can be very easily triggered by sound and getting a sense of space and the elements in that space is very transportative for me. And so for this record, knowing that I was going to be, like most records, like it's, it's a time caps- capsule and that I'm capturing this moment in time and the place that it was made in and everything that was happening at the time, feeling like uh, recording what those environments sounded like at the time in an, like the ambient environmental sounds would contribute to that, you know, ability to time travel back to that period of time. And I, it was actually fortunate that I did because I ended up having to move out of the studio that I recorded it in or the garage that was converted into a studio. I had to move out of that house um, just as I was finishing this record. So all of those field recordings, plus these songs really, came to encapsulate that place and that time in my life, um, in a way that I, I couldn't have anticipated.
0: What? So did you finish up the record after you'd moved?
1: Michael and I finished all of our tracking right before I started packing up the house. And then, uh, we mixed the record after the move, but I, I sort of knew that a window was closing and that it would be hard to pick up that sort of generative part of the process in a new location and moving just is also moving takes all your time and attention once you get get into it and once you're breaking down everything and packing up and getting settled in a new spot it's it's all consuming so i just recognized like some part of me was probably going to move on in that process and i needed to to get all of this while I could.
0: Did you have to kind of settle in a new place before you went back to working on it? Did you need to feel comfortable there and take a little bit of time to settle in before you went back to the record?
1: Um, well, I didn't mix the record at my place. I mixed it at um, at my friend uh, Nick Principes' studio, about twenty minutes from here. I was going there pretty much every day while we uh, while we mixed it. And meanwhile, like in my time in between mixing sessions, was you know unpacking, getting the new studio set up. Um, and it took a little while for me to start making music again just because of uh, how much time it takes to get settled in a new spot. Um, and plus, I was just consumed with mixing Green to Gold. It was trying to kind of keep my head in that space while I was you know, doing the the deep zoom-in that mixing is.
0: How many days in were you mixing for?
1: Oh, God, we were mixing for... We mixed for weeks. Um, we mixed for a really long time. <laughs> um,
0: it almost sounds like a little bit more of a... Is that a little bit more of a right and wrong process in the songwriting thing? How do you mean? Does it ever feel, when you're mixing, because you were saying that, that you know, you're going in every day and there's a routine and a structure to it, does it feel a little bit more workmanlike than the actual songwriting process itself?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely using a different, a different part of, of the mind. You know, it's really about, it's less about coming up with new ideas and more about listening very, very carefully and closely and paying attention. And kind of staying focused, which is different than spitting out ideas and evaluating those ideas and seeing what works. There is a certain amount of listening that's happening during that time, but uh, you're not going over it with a fine tooth comb. But you know, every stage of making a record is um, another stage of zooming in, essentially. And any record is just you know a hundred thousand brush strokes. And then eventually you just you reach the end of it where you you've kind of zoomed in too much and you need to step back, kind of experience it as a whole to see if it's
0: uh, if it's done. Yeah. You need to stop looking at the brush strokes and see it as a painting. Exactly. Does the painting sometimes change shape with time in, term, in terms of like after it's been completed and you kind of move further away? After from- it's done? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's
1: that's pretty reliable, actually. Although. I don't think the thing itself changes. I think that the creator changes. As you get more distance from something you've made, you gain different perspective on it. And so what you thought you were writing about at the time remains true. But with you know years having passed and looking back at yourself, you can see what it was really about. You, you can see a bit more of the picture of what was going on. Um, just having that third-person perspective on your younger self. So it it starts to sound different. I think also with time passing, you naturally zoom out and you hear it in a way that you can't while you're working on it. You know, some of the thing, some of these sort of like obsessive details that seemed so loud and present to you while you were recording or mixing or mastering, they get lost in in the soup basically. When you have a little time away from it, you stop being able to identify where those tiny details were you know if you're like combing through through one audio track in a song you know looking for like a microscopic pop or click and what and it you know it can kind of plague your existence while you're doing it and you need to have that kind of attention to find those little unwanted imperfections in the audio you know a a year or two later you're not going to remember where that was and if you missed one unless it's a glaring pop or click, you're probably not going to hear it.
0: Have you ever missed one and you've spotted it later on?
1: (laughs) Probably. (laughs) But again, I can't like, I couldn't tell you where it is.
0: Is it easier for you to have perspective on something like the music videos that you're coming in this with? Or I guess the visual series, I should say, because you're doing like a 10 part, you're doing a video for every song, basically, right?
1: Right. Yeah. It's essentially a a visual album. Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of it is that I'm I'm way less involved in that process um, because I didn't make the music videos. I didn't direct them. I didn't write them. um, I didn't film them and I didn't edit them. You know, I'm not zooming in the way that the, the director is. And I'm not zooming in the way that the, in this case, the dancers are, you know, thinking about their performance and their movement. I get to experience it from a much more zoomed out perspective, which is really nice. Actually. I get to, I get to just kind of consume it as a fan of their work. I don't have insight into the the kind of microscopic qualities that go into, go into it. So I get to, you know, the illusion isn't broken for me, which makes it really enjoyable too, because there is a there is a point with working on a record and, and especially in the closing stages of it where you are working on it so microscopically and obsessively that you periodically kind of hate it for, <laughs> because you get so tired of it. And it kind of it kind of haunts you um while you're working on it, and you get so fixated on it and so frustrated with it that you get you get tired of doing it you get tired you just want it to be done already, and so it's so nice that with these videos i'm no I'm nowhere close to to that part of the process um i I mostly get to um just experience it when it's more or less done
0: with a lot of this record and all of it kind of came from conversations, right. That was kind of the basis that started to propel some of these ideas. Was that the idea behind the music video then to kind of have it be like a silent conversation, like a physical conversation almost by using the dancers?
1: Yeah, exactly. I think, like you said, the physical conversation that's happening between the two of them is this sort of parallel story to the story on the album. You know, it's I, I think it's it's not mirroring it exactly it's sort of reinterpreted and translated for different people which is what you hope for with with any songwriting or storytelling is that despite there being specifics that are drawn from your own experience that they can somehow be translated to somebody else who had a different experience but that something about it will be common
0: can you hear any speci- can you hear the influence of specific conversations you had in the album When you hear a song, is your mind ever kind of drawn back to a particular experience in a particular com a particular conversation that you have with someone that informed the process of this?
1: Um a lot of the time I'm drawn to the environment, you know, what you know, the scenery, I kind of seeing a landscape. Um, and so for me it might be what the landscape or the surroundings were when that conversation happened, not necessarily the, the words of the conversation itself. But, you know, like wheels roll home, I'm remembering my partner's car coming down the driveway after being gone for a while you know porch light is you know that brings to light me taking taking our dog for a walk at you know in in the dark at night on like a foggy night
0: that's interesting because whenever i heard that i always kind of got the the early sunday morning type thing from it
1: oh really uh, yeah it does have that sound more it doesn't really sound like nighttime to me but i think maybe because that the kind of imagery of of walking in the dark that is, is happening throughout it, like that's just where my mind goes.
0: When you're going out for walks in the dark as opposed to walks in the light, does your mind go to different places? I think
1: in the dark, your mind has a tendency to fill in the blanks, has a tendency to uh, kind of fill in that darkness with imagination. You know, during the daytime, you're really registering everything that you can see around you.
0: How are you finding it with the snow at the moment then? Cuz you kind of get that reflection where everything feels a lot lighter at night. I love that.
1: Yeah, if you if you have that combination of the snow on the ground and the moon in the sky, yeah, you don't like on a dark night I'll be I would otherwise be walking walking the dog with like a headlamp and it's nice when when it's just everything is kind of illuminated outside and you get you can just walk out there and you can see everything. It's it's it's, it's weird too. It's it's weird. For it to be so bright at night, it just casts everything a little bit differently.
0: You feel like an owl.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah, you're like, this is what it looks like all the time for
0: them. Until it starts snowing and then you get caught in a blizzard and suddenly you can't see anything. Yep, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) What was the last conversation you had with someone where you felt like you learned something? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, You know, I was talking
1: to my mom the other day and I was telling her about just having very active dreams lately them and them being just kind of exhausting and she gave me the very good advice that i should i should start doing you know start doing dream recall basically and kind of treat them as prompts for new writing ideas and i guess just something about something about the way that the idea was kind of framed to me just felt very insightful in a way where i you know, it was kind of revelatory for me because here I was trying to kind of solve this problem and trying different approaches to essentially suppress my dreams. And, and her advice was to, to look at them and to, to kind of investigate what they're trying to tell me.
0: I really like that taking like a positive or taking something that you feel like is a negative aspect of yourself and turning it into an advantage. Yeah. Exactly, it's kind of like what we were speaking about earlier with you know holding on to certain aspects of yourself. Like maybe when you're younger, there's certain things that you wanna rid yourself of, but what you really should be doing is like accepting them and finding a way to use them to your advantage. And
1: I think that's one of the bigger truths in life. You spend so much, or I spent so much of my childhood and and like kind of early adult life trying to be different than who how I actually was, rather than just leaning in to who it was, you know, the kind of person that I seemed to be, you know, I I wish I had embraced it sooner, um, but I guess maybe that journey is important too. You know, you have to kind of come back to yourself after losing yourself for a little while to really see the value.